Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 890 with Michael McHenry. He helped me believe that I was, I was, I had the potential of something far greater than my current experience and skills, but he gave me, he helped me. And really, I would say in those times, he, he helped me really create my inner belief. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder of the McHenry Group, Michael McHenry. My man, Michael, are you feeling unstoppable today? Dude, it's all I know. Yes. It's all I know. So grateful to be here, Eric, Dude, with you today. Grateful and to welcome, you. welcome to one of my homes. Dude, you guys are killing it. We're sitting <laughs> at Sunday's Best right now yes. in Salt Lake City, uh, and we rolled up. This place had, we barely found parking, man. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. 100, 108 parking stalls. It's a Friday morning. You roll in at 1030 and you're like, where am I going to park? Yeah, man, it's, a, doing, it's a damn good problem to have. You're doing a great job. Thank I cannot you. find out. I cannot wait to find out how you built mm. this and so many other businesses you got going on right. here too. Thank you. Six total, right? <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, yeah, we're somewhere around six brands. Yeah. yeah. So we've been um, in contact for almost two years now Oof. going back and forth. And I'm like, I just don't make it to Salt Lake City too often. But well, like, and what a two year period to yeah, be like talking and, and going back and forth. And so again, welcome to our city. Yeah, man. I'm so happy yeah. to be here. I can't wait to dive in. But let's get that motivational, yeah. inspirational <laughs> ball rolling with a success <laughs> quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Ooh, can I give you two? Yeah, man. Can I give you two? I mean, one of my biggest, and I'm going to speak to myself in third person here, but the Michael McHenry, the biggest Michael McHenry mantra is championing others to their fullest potential. That's such a big one for me because it creates this self-accountability um, in reflection, in reality, in conversation, participation, as well as just resource and... and uh, and development. I just I love seeing other people win. Yeah. Also, I understand what it takes to win. Yeah. And um and it's hard. It's hard. But that, geez, the, the reward the, is great. That's what the best restaurant tours do. They realize that it's not about me. It's about making sure everyone around me wins. Yep. And if I can do that, then I'm unstoppable. And so with championing others to their fullest potential, it really takes you again in that accountability partnership. You gotta show up big for you and your people every single day. Yeah. And so it's interesting because although it sounds like it's selfless, it's so selfish because I'm like, I got to be my biggest version every single day, first and foremost, so I can show up just, again, incredibly big for others. My next one is 70% right, 110% sure. Ooh, 70% <laughs> 110%. Say it one more time. 70% right, 110% sure. Okay. Like literally, dude, I build the plane in motion always. I don't, I don't wait for the perfect plan, just enough and I go. I love it, dude. Yeah. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. <laughs> Where does it make sense to start sharing your story? I know you're, you're 39 now, right? I know dude. you were 40 this year. 40 this 40 year. 40 this year. I know you were like 1918 when you started your own business. So you've been doing it's this wild. for 20 solid years, man. Dude, I didn't even realize like my journey when it started, like even before you even knew what the term like entrepreneurship was, is I remember I couldn't even spell entrepreneur uh, originally and so it was in a restaurant too totally i'm like i'm <laughs> a restaurant, restaurant guy restaurant you know tour, even more difficult <laughs> totally i <laughs> uh, it's interesting this journey started for me when i was a kid yeah i, did, I didn't even realize it right i didn't even realize that all of a sudden i'm like i'm mowing lawns for five bucks a piece and all of a sudden i start talking to my friends and building a client book and the next thing you know it's like i got my two best friends working for me they're mowing lawns and, and edging lawns and i'm i'm building the book of business the next thing you know i find out that i'm paying them three and keeping two and like running the expenses and here i'm at like 12 years old running a landscaping business just writing cash five bucks a door and we were doing a good job so i was over building the client book <laughs> and my team was over or my boys at the time were over like cutting the lawn and doing it and i just made sure that the quality was there but i didn't even know that association yeah it just it just started and so geez dude i mean it started mowing lawns years and years ago and then kind of crazy and i hope i'm just good with saying it because i always say it the way it is then i got into honestly selling cigarettes before i was even old enough to <laughs> and so i was the dude who's never smoked a cigarette but was selling them uh in junior high school kind of a wild uh, bit of a journey and then you know, here we are now you know it's uh 
there was a dude at a Metro Mart that was willing to sell a 14-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> packs of cigarettes back in the day. And so we're talking like early to mid-90s, you know, at that time. How did start where you're like, hey, man, will you sell me some cigarettes? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I can't remember how it went other than all I know is I'm paying $10 a carton for them. Oh, so, my gosh. You know, but who even knows what that is now? You're paying $10 a cart. Yeah. That's what twenty years ago? I mean, that what was the pack like? $2? More than twenty years ago, that would have been uh, twenty five to twenty so seven years ago. Back when a pack still costs like I don't, I never really smoked cigarettes, but I know they're like stupid expensive now. Like, dude, I, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, honestly, like I'm offended by the smell of cigar- cigarette yeah. smoke. Like, of course, none of my businesses, patios, any of those things. Like a good cigar, a nice glass. You know, there's 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 an element, a gentleman's element to that. But cigarettes, it was just pure hustle for me. Yeah, yeah, it was survival. But I mean, yeah. What were you selling for? You, Jeez, I think what it was kind like of profit. Were you making? I mean, probably I was probably selling them for like two bucks a cigarette or something. <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't really Supply even remember now, but it was like age. two bucks a cigarette, maybe you know, maybe ten bucks a pack or something. So you've been an entrepreneur for as far back as you can. As far remember. as that's where I'm. Like, where does this start? Well, yeah. I mean, ten years old, somewhere in that range is like really where it started to click up for me. Okay, yeah. So where did this come? Did you have a, a parent that was an entrepreneur? Did or were you just out there making like trying to make money? Like it's, like, it's interesting. My parents, most definitely, my mom was quite entrepreneurial. Like early in her journey, my dad worked for like a family-owned business. My grandparents were entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs on both sides. Okay, and um, and that again, gave me those that interesting insight. I didn't know what it was like to be mentored or be around kind of like clock in, clock out mentality. I only knew what it was like to be around those that were clocked in all the time. Yeah. And my grandparents, specifically my grandfathers, were a huge influence uh, Hi, on who boy. I am today. I just... Uh, Understanding from birth, basically, and, and ultimately when I started to work, that everything is earned. Yeah, you know, I remember being twelve years old, thirteen years old. I'm working with my grandpa Larry, who's one of, been one of my biggest mentors in my life, still alive today. Still, guy still doesn't understand how not to have a project. He's like in his mid eighties. That's crazy. You know, somewhere in that range. But I remember like. 12, 13 years old, I worked on the excavating crew, okay. right? And he was, a, he was a tax accountant and an excavator. So when it wasn't the tax season, he's like tearing out driveways and, <laughs> and digging basements in people's backyards. Just a wild combination. But I remember sitting with him, like on one of my first paychecks, and I was making like four to five bucks an hour. And I sat down with him after we went to McDonald's for the week, right? And he'd buy me a donut at the, at the gas station, and he'd buy me lunch at McDonald's. And that was back in the day when a combo meal was like two ninety nine, right? Yeah. I don't know what they are now, ten ninety nine, whatever the number is. But point being is he subtracted that amount from my check. And I'm like, as like a 13-year-old, I'm like, Gramps, what are you doing? He's like, listen, we earn everything in yeah. our day. Yeah. And, and I didn't even understand the principle of like knowing your debt, knowing your place, And the reality is my grandfathers taught me how to work. Mm -hmm. They taught me how to work. It's in my DNA. It's like today, you'll see as as we continue this journey, like I don't know how not to work in the dining room. It's not just smiling at guests and shaking hands. I'm busting tables, sweating, like whether I'm working expo, whether I'm working the dining room, whether I'm putting tables together, high-fiving people at the front door, taking pictures, or literally just wiping table bases and tucking chairs. I just don't know it any yeah. differently. So your next project was a bowl. Were you a professional bowler? Is yeah. This- so <laughs> what was going on with that? Dude, such a wild moment. You know, my parents divorced when I was young, third okay. or fourth grade. And um, and in that day, like in the early 90s, right, in a, in a bowling alley, they weren't bowling centers like they are now. These are bowling alleys. Like you could smell the rubber ball, the cigarette smoke, you know, the overflowing cheap domestic beers. <laughs> uh, like, you know what a bowling alley smells yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was 
an interesting dynamic for me to like walk into that as a kid. And so my dad bowled on a league on Friday nights, uh, you know, four o'clock, five p.m. league. And you know, he, his buddies, and family to get a couple pitchers of beer, and they would you know start bowling at five o'clock. And and in that day, you kind of had two choices as a kid. You couldn't play pinball in arcades because they were in the bar. You weren't old enough. Yeah. Right. And so it was like play pool or bowl. And so, or just sit there and eat French fries and chicken tenders, which I did really well. Yeah. Uh, and and so I just one day picked up a bowling ball and I'm just in there and, and I would kind of practice a few lanes away from my dad, just bowl casually. And uh, one day the pro walked, you know, at that day, time, it's like golf courses. Yeah. Bowling always had pros. Yeah. Right. And he walked up to me one day and just said, you know, you, you ever done this before? And. You know, I think at the time I was like, well, not really, just a few times. I'm casual as a kid. Yeah. He's like, you know, you, you seem to have some, some you know, kind of natural ability or decent timing. And I said, okay. And, and this guy just started believing in me. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, one thing about my dad and my mom, they were great um, in so many ways. Uh, really what they taught me is, is my dad taught me how to love mm. unconditionally. But there wasn't a lot of development, like growing as a mentor you know, what school are you going to go to? What, what do you aspire to be? What job are you going to go to? Here are kind of fundamental uh, principles. I learned that from my grandparents yeah. and then new mentors. Yeah. And this, this gentleman whose name is actually High Hudson, he was the local Utah bowling pro. Okay. And he was my first real mentor out, outside of my grandparents. What did he teach you? Well, it's kind of interesting when I look back now, you know, he saw some natural ability in me and, and it just invested that into me. Um, I started working in his bowling pro shop. I was, you know, vacuuming floors, cleaning mirrors, sanding bowling balls. But what I didn't realize is that I was learning at, you know, this kind of 12 to 13 years old. I'm learning from literally a very successful used car salesman, right? How to sell. Yeah. So at 13 years old, I'm selling bowling equipment. I'm I'm fixing and repairing bowling balls. And so his full time job was his full time job was salesman. he was a car salesman. Okay. And and, and a professional bowler. And he also had a, a pro shop. And he had a pro shop. And so yeah. he's teaching me these fundamentals. But as a kid, I don't realize it. But like he taught me some principles. Like here's one that I'll give you as an example. He taught me how to sell shoes, but it wasn't like, oh, hey, go sell the best shoe. He said, every single day on your shift, I want you to find out and know and memorize our inventory. Mm. And when someone walks in, Samantha walks in and you look and make the assumption that she wears a size seven shoe, you only show her shoes in about a size seven. Yeah. And it was like, you might have 25 shoes on the wall, but it was, but you understand your inventory, you honor your inventory, you understand kind of the, the, the sociology and psychology of the individual walking in, you make an assumption on their shoe shot size, and then you only point them towards shoes after you know their size that you have in stock because people want to buy now. And that was an interesting dynamic that I reflect in now. But who learns that at 13 years old? Not many people. I think there's another subconscious lesson learned here. (laughs) He saw something in you. 100%. And he lets you know. Yeah. And I think that's something that you probably do to this day because your whole thing is about championing others. To their full potential. To their full potential. And he saw my potential. he did that for you early on. Before I ever saw it. Or even knew what that was. It's so important as older individuals, as people who come to recognize talent when we get to that point in our life when we can see when somebody's good at something and especially if they're younger because they're not self-aware yet they don't yeah, know what they're doing totally. and it's so important to reinforce that it's, it's been one of the biggest lessons here on the yeah. show and it's so subtle but we can literally set people on a path just by seeing them and recognizing that's why i do what i do yeah i'm actually not in the restaurant business because i obsess over that wine or that cheese or that uh particular you know cut of protein or that flavor profile food and this industry happens to be a conduit for connecting others. Yeah. Food is the most amazing connector. It's the most kind of infinite and, sick and sacred connector in my 
experience as well as in my heart and in my mind that like food has become the most incredible conduit for me to create opportunity and experience and and just moment and essence within people's lives. Like I look out here right now and I go, it blows my mind that people dress up here in Salt Lake City on a Friday like it's a Sunday, you know, out of town. Right. Yeah. It's just every day of the week people come in and they are dialed to the nines to enjoy brunch and crust a great beverage. I can't wait and to that enjoy brunch. Me. You guys are gonna yeah. be open around twelve thirty when we're done Dude, with this, right? Totally. <laughs> yes. Bro, we, so, we we're serving all day long. So you opened your own bowling uh, pro shop, pro shop, yeah, to compete with your mentor, huh? Yeah, it was kind of wild. Uh, how, do you, how do you how do you take that? I think here's the reality. It, it comes back to that <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit. Like, thank me, thank you, and I honor you for those stepping stones along my journey. I've also realized that I've just always had a vision to do it bigger. Yeah, like, and that doesn't mean like bigger than my mentor necessarily at the time. Just my mentor helped me get to a certain level also, and encouraged me, yeah. to be better. And that's the way it should be. We should encourage our people to go beyond us. Right. And the thing is, every once in a while, you're going to find that person that you've given an opportunity. They don't want to go beyond you. They want to stay. Totally. But you can't take it personally when somebody you've helped grow is ready to go beyond and to take it. And you, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. This guy, what was his name again? High Hudson. High Hudson. He yeah. was your giant. He was the shoulders. Totally. Especially early, like early in my life. Uh, he, he saw something in me, like you mentioned, and he believed in it. And he most definitely... Um, there was just a different level of encouragement and inspiration. I think there's also like in entrepreneurship, there's a level of ego and I think presence and experience, which I think is a reality. And I think you most definitely have to have it in order to do this well, mm. right? To build your business, you need a level of tenacity. You need a level of a high level of, I think, self-confidence is, as well as just like inner motivation to go out and create because winning at anything is incredibly hard. Yeah. Like incredibly hard. Ego gives you confidence. I'll tell you what, like everyone needs it if they plan to own their own business. You got to own that shit. How do you bounce that, your ego, though? That that means don't be an asshole to people. Yeah, right. But like the one the biggest thing that it, and my dad is is really the one that's that's really helped me understand this. He reminds me often, like Michael, just make sure that your heart is bigger than your balls. Yeah. And to me, it's like that's that for me is like I got to remember that I'm a hugger and I'm a lover. Yeah. And I'm also like I'm highly tenacious and I'm highly ambitious and I get tunnel vision on the outcome tunnel vision on the outcome so i have a few reminders one is like i maintain my obsession with my guests without them i have no reason being in business and so i stay so focused on the guest experience to to a to an obsessed place where i I like everything matters to me in their experience and then the next side is championing others to their full potential like i go all in on my team all day long so that if i feel exhausting i'm i'm exhaustive in our mission and in their development yeah. and so i believe i built a culture that we work and we press and and we truly have a, a a journey and expectation that there's no finish line we celebrate along the way but i believe we align in the expectation and outcome that everybody's going to win so long as they show up every single day yes. and bring their best. Awesome, dude. Yeah. I'm loving the conversation. <laughs> and I really want to change your opening quote to make sure your heart is bigger than your balls. Well, done. And if if done. If we never at one point all the titles that we had Should in the I show, roll with that? Yeah, man. Should I roll with that? <laughs> we used to make all sure right, I'm here with that. All the titles to the show yeah. were uh, like a, a one liner yeah. or like a just, and that would yeah. have definitely made the title. If so let's do it. Like, if if that's it, like no, it's like, gonna be Michael McHenry. <laughs> McHenry group. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> So cool. 2004 is when you get away from bowling. 2000 and... Uh, you go to work as the executive at Costa Vida. Yeah. 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 It was like right around... Uh, that's when I stopped competing competitively. Okay. Yeah. And um, 
How far did you take with bowling? Did you were Dude, you like a champion? Totally. Nice. I mean, I've got like I don't know the number of three hundred games. It's a big number, I double have, digits. Oh man, that's crazy. That's I'm assuming it's yeah. Uh, I, I'm from New Hampshire. Yo, we do candle candle pins. Yeah, sorry, I love that. No, candle pins are dope. I'm I'm into it. Yeah, I, I'm into it. Um, my first 300 game. I've uh, never was, broken 100. Was um <laughs> October was October 4th, 1997, and I believe I was 15 years old. That was my first 300 Damn, game. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, thank you. Thank that's you. Awesome. There was a lot of... I bowled more than 34,000 games. I'm interested to learn more about that, but we're here to talk Yo. about the restaurant. <laughs> so, 2004, why did you get away from bowling? Dude, it was kind of crazy. I... um. So I was out on the amateur tour at the time, like, and those were big money purses. It was actually as like a, as a young talent, you know, under twenty one years old. Those amateurs, the high rollers, and other tournaments gave you and provided you with an opportunity to make a bigger purse by being like one of two hundred that are good in the country versus being the top ten, okay. right? Like an Earl Anthony or a Nor- Norm Duke or these other guys that were like the top of that game, um, and so. I had this unique opportunity to go out and, and be sponsored and, and uh, you know, do, do pretty well. Um, I didn't get rich at it by any means, but I made enough money to, to realize that I don't know if this is the lifestyle for me. 56 weeks uh, or, um, you know, a 36 week tour being out there. It just that was a lot of work. Yeah. And so um, and I'm up for the lo- a lot of work, but it was just travel as a kid. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's not like rainbows and butterflies when you're traveling as a bowler at 18 years old. I it's, mean, it's, it's it's like what you see on Kingpin. It's, it's not too to far explain. away. It's hard yeah, to explain. Being, just, I mean, I wasn't traveling bowling, but I know what it's like to be on the road. And it's not as glamorous as people think. Totally. It is. I think it's just like even now, like what you see on maybe Instagram or people's best photo, you know, their cameo is far different than like traveling in a van with six other dudes and sleeping <laughs> on a floor in a motel and working your ass off for scraps. Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember looking at like, dude, there was some of my only options were like the dollar menu. Yeah. Right. And. And so reality is this. I came back and I approached the owners of Fat Cats, which is a bowling center here locally, um, a journey to my next mentors. And I approached them and uh, ended up negotiating a space with them and leasing a spot for the McHenry Sports Shop. And I ran that for about five to six months. And while I was running the pro shop, I was just doing things differently. You know, I was showing up. I was, I was walking the lanes. I'm talking to people. I'm just I'm doing what I was born to do, which I believe is like create experiences for people, whether that be with a bowling ball, a, a smothered, you know, pork burrito, a raspberry chicken salad, a Miami vice, you know, pancakes or a pad thai. I'm here for it. And so <laughs> it, it was interesting as, as that journey continued. So I got about five or six months into it. And the owners of the bowling center, um, Sean Collins and, and Dave Rudder, two great mentors of mine, a huge inspiration on my journey and why I'm sitting here today with you. I owe a, a big part of that to those gentlemen and especially Sean Collins a guy that again professionally who believed in me saw my potential that I didn't see was there and about six months in they offered me an opportunity to join them in this restaurant venture that they had the idea of and when I can tell you and sort of like articulate this essence for you. It literally was like on the back of a piece of paper. We have this vision for you. We're going to pay you X amount, which was pennies. And we're going to, and you're going to drive like 45 miles each direction. I didn't know this at the time, but you're going to, you're going to work, you know, 80 to a hundred hours a week for the next five to six years. And you're going to take zero days off. Like, I mean, zero, no <laughs> spring in? breaks, no bullshit. It was just like, are you in? Yes. And it was so crazy. I sat there in real time. Eric, I sat there in real time and I was like, they said to me, Michael, we have an opportunity for you and we believe that you're, you are too talented 
for what you're doing right now. And I was offended, like in real time offended because in my heart, I'm like telling me I'm too talented for a bowling pro shop. And this is my it's been my whole life. Yeah. And I was probably like 19 or something at the time. Maybe maybe I was 20, 21, something somewhere in that range. And I quickly realized that what they were telling me was a future that I, I didn't know yet, but my intuition was like, I'm all in. So I tried to kind of bluff it, right? I, I wanted to be like, oh, I want to negotiate my salary or I want to do this. And by the end of the conversation, I'm like, I'm in. And what I didn't realize I was agreeing to right then was my doctorate. What I didn't realize is I was agreeing to like sharpen my skills as an entrepreneur, as a creator, as a leader, um, someone who's going to see opportunity and seek it with unwavering pursuit. And these guys provided that opportunity to me. And so what is now Coast of Vida, over 100 units across the country, uh, doing, I think, over $200 million in revenue. Um, we started, the first one was called Coast Azul. Okay. And it was bootstrap, like turn a, uh, a walk-up salad bar into a main serving line. At the time, we're like rolling people's burritos without gloves on. It was like, I'm stuffing my fingernails in your, you know, in your rice and beans. It was wild. And it just, <laughs> like, we didn't know shit, Eric. We thought we did, but what we knew is we were committed. So wait, so yeah. you are the operating partner or you're on a salary? At this time, yeah. I was on a salary with some sweat equity. Okay. As a kid. Okay, so what kind of sweat equity are we talking about? Changed my whole life, man. But like, like what you said, this is your doctorate. You learned so much. Yeah. These were your next wave of mentors. Mm -hmm. What didn't you know now? Or what didn't you know then that you know now? I'll tell you what. Like, at 23 with those guys, I thought I knew everything. And at 23, I didn't know shit. So, how did they kind of wake you up and realize what you didn't know? You know what's interesting? With them, I they had such high expectations and super high standards. And I'm talking like literally tore your guests and your teams through your kitchen type like discipline. Everything was clean. Mm. Table bases, chairs, organization, environment, all environment was so critical to these guys. Costing, consistency, flavor profiles, leadership, but their expectations were so radically high, but I didn't know any different. And now that I look back now and reflect in, I realize that they were like the top 1% of the 1% in the country. Their standards were so high and I just didn't know it any different. And so I think First and foremost, what they taught me is that, that you can truly be the best of the best and you can make shift. Meaning like these guys were like Apollo 13 guys. Like, here's what we have. Let's go build something. Yeah. And one of the mentors like, here's what we have. We're on our way to an empire, mm. right? We're on our way to an empire. So what they really taught me was the ability to be unwavering in your pursuit and having ridiculously high standards and that it's possible at scale. Yeah. So w- in 2004, you started with the first, what was the first thing you said? Yeah. The first one, Costa Azul. Costa yeah. Azul. And that and turned wh- into, the name change went to Costa Vida. Costa Vida. And yeah. Where were you f- uh, five years later? Because it was 2009 when you left. Yeah. So where'd you guys take that in that five year period? Dude, that- it was like from zero to a little over 30 locations. Zero to 30 yeah. locations. Yeah. So this, you were there from day one? Day one. Okay, what what were the things like the key lessons? <laughs> yeah, the the things that and they yeah. taught you so much. Yeah, how do you pick just a couple of things? But if you can narrow it down like three or four things, uh, maybe in chronological order of like the the transformative moments for you. Yeah. What would those have been, dude? I think the biggest one is just belief. Mm-hmm. Like 
be unwavering in that pursuit, right? Like they just, my mentor, Sean made it like he had this ability to cast vision and just get you to believe in it. Mm. And so when you pursue and you believe with unwavering pursuit, it just, it removes a bunch of unnecessary noise, roadblock and things that get in the way. And so for me, uh, just getting incredibly clear on what success looks like and then being empowered and resourced to pursue it with unwavering pursuit. How did he empower you? How, what kind of resources did you get? (laughs) He got inside of me. What do you mean? Like he got in my heart. He got in my heart. And he got in my mind. And he helped me believe that I was, I was, I had the potential of something far greater than my current experience and skills. But he gave me, he helped me. And really, I would say in those times, he, he helped me really create my inner belief. How did he get into your heart? I think he just, his participation, like he was very authentic and he was tough. And I think there's something about that tough love that makes, at least for me and my personally personality dynamic, that tough love makes me love you more. Mm. Like I love that. I love he, that he deep get, in accountability partnership to, to to be there to, to force you. It, it, it takes energy, and he showed to up. Do that to somebody, and to he be there. showed up. No yeah. matter how busy he was, he showed up. So they they tell you the significance of a vision in what the impact of showing yep. up for people and getting into their heart, and yep. how how you can get into someone's heart when you show up. What else yep. do they teach you? I think the reality is just fail fast. Mm. The other side of it too is like they didn't expect perfect. They just expect outcome. And so early on in those developmental years, I think what I was learning in my early 20s, some people in their careers don't learn or some most definitely learn them as they're starting to peak in their careers, maybe at 30 or 40. And I'm learning this in my 20s, like my early 20s. I'm learning to capture and align within vision. I'm learning to activate and execute. I'm learning to like to like reflect and self love and to buy into mission and and people not just food. So what did you not learn just about money? Execution. How did they <laughs> in, what these tools did they give yeah. you around how to execute? Everything how? was results driven. It was on plan or off plan. Okay. And so, so what like what did that look like? Break it down. Was there a weekly meeting, expectations? Totally. Goals? Yeah, I think that at, at times there's a little more autonomy, right? Because we were a young company. So to say, oh, did we meet every Tuesday at eleven AM? No. But it was like, here's what success looks like. Go out and generate X amount of revenue and generate X amount of profit and here are the guardrails. Go to work. Okay. And so it was and it was basically what I just articulated at that time, there weren't all these line items that guided that success. There wasn't this training manual or video or, uh, or like, you know, conference room that you were being developed. It was just like, this is what success looks like. Here's the resources we have go. Yeah. And that to me was my preferred way of learning. Mm -hmm. Give me autonomy. Just show me what success looks like. Why is autonomy so important? Uh, because like I just I feel because I think it's in my DNA that that entrepreneurship. I've never been one that's about clocking in and clocking out. Because the reality is that wouldn't even be feasible for a company. Because I never wanted to go home. Mm. Like what some people don't know, and I'm telling it right here. Like I slept in the office without anyone knowing about it for over a year. Wow. And then I would wake up and I would shower at Gold's Gym. Right, I'd go work out. I'd shower at Gold's Gym, and I'd open the line, and no one knew. There was a time I didn't even have a mailing address. I was so in. Like I lived in a house years later. Sounds crazy on the road in Idaho. I lived in a house for six months without a refrigerator. Opening our third location. That's crazy, man. Because I was all in. Like yeah. I obsessed in such an obsessed manner. And so it, it's um, yeah. I'm like, dude, my heart's filling as I talk about this right now because I'm like. Holy shit, Em, you forgot some of that. And I know that's maybe your intent. And you're doing a great job with that, Thank you. Eric. Like I, I am digging dip deep because I realized that 
I just went all in, yeah. like all but, in all the time. Yeah, you man. Know? And we don't all in's relative. <laughs> all in for me might not be the same as totally. all in for you. So I think it's important when we say you got to go all in. People are like I got to go all in. I got to go. Yeah. What does that look like? Are you willing to sleep on the floor? Are you willing to not have in your own place? Are you willing to travel and just go and literally put in one one hundred hour weeks? Are you willing to you just do? not worry about like? Have you removed the association with even clocking in and clocking out? And for me, I just, I just don't ever remember what that was like because I've always been laser focused yeah. on the outcome. And yes, I was guided and taught that. That was an expectation early in my journey. Now it's just in my DNA. Yeah. And anyone who works for me realizes I'm not the guy like calling you about like what time you're clocking in or clocking out or what your vacation's like. I'm the one going like, are we on plan? Or are we off plan? Did we crush it today? Yeah. So like, what? are we at 400 covers? Are we at 300? And if we're at 420, what did we do differently? If we're at 300, what are we going to do to get to where we need to be? And that's how, how we yeah. work. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. Uh, so 2009 is when you joined uh, as vice president of Blue Lemon. Uh, where were you before leaving the Cosa Vida group? Yeah. yeah. What, so what was there? Like, so Small Lake City, right? Yeah. So there was very similar money associated. And so from Costa Vida to Blue Lemon was an opportunity because one of the one of the most considerable investors in the Costa Vida brand at that time was also his family, a family office, local family to Utah, great family. They they uh, had a family member who had the vision for Blue Lemon. And they contacted me and said, hey, they have this vision. They actually opened and closed. And after like 30 or 40 days, and they said, hey, they're looking for an operator, someone who can make this vision work. And so they retained me. I joined them as a consultant with some opportunity to ultimately have some ownership and the business. And the same thing happened. Like, and I, I want to go back to the bowling journey to to the Costa Vida journey to now. When I turn the page, it, like I'm the same person, but like I don't like I went from bowling to this business and never went back to bowling again. I went from Costa Vida to Blue Lemon and never looked back to Costa Vida other than it was that DNA and I'm a champion and cheerleader. But I don't live in yesterday's brand or success. I'm always pointing forward. I just believe that what we learned in our journey contributes to the future success and creation and opportunities that we provide and earn for ourselves and those around us. And so it was so interesting to me that I thought my whole life was like putting everything in a tortilla and I would never do it any different ever. And then all of a sudden the next day, which it wasn't the next day. It was like seven years later, whatever the number was. <laughs> it was like, holy shit. I'm like, I'm leading what I believe is like the country's like front running, you know, fast casual. Like we were taking, you know, the, the integrity of fine dining and marrying it and service really dining or uh, the craft and hospitality of fine dining and marrying it with the price and convenience of fast casual. And no one was doing that in the country in 2009. Right, it was like blue lemon and true yeah. food. Yeah. No one else was doing it, yeah. and you were kind of like, "Wait a minute, how can I walk into this like modern, upscale, highbrow environment?" But I'm only paying thirteen dollars for a five and a half ounce salmon fillet with a like a summer suc- succotash, great starch, and all of a sudden I'm getting it in six minutes or less. No one had done that yet, mm. and so we were like, we were literally like taking the buttons off the phone, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like we were doing that yeah. in our business, and whether. Whether I was in this cop captive audience or bubble in Salt Lake City or not, I mean, I knew the Southwest really well. We were just front running. And so because it was front running, because it was so cutting edge, because I caught the vision so quickly, I went all in again. Yeah. 
and went all in for the next five years. What did you do differently this time? Because now it's your second turn. Yeah. So you get to... You know, you have the benefits of the things you learned the first time. Yeah, around. totally. So, what was different the second time around? Listen, this one really taught me about brand. It was just another nine-year stint too. It was like five. it was like seven. So it was or five. Something, yeah. You were like five years with the Costa Vida, and then from 2009 to 2018 is what I have for you as the vice. No, 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 no. So I was with them from 2000 and, uh, geez, like 2008 ish, right, yeah. until 2013, and then I was. Then we after that we were another sh- another brand and so I was there for about five years. Got it. And that seems to be kind of like five to six years, five to six years, and then I'm doing my own thing. Got it. Yeah. So did you grow during this time? Who were you going into this? Who were you coming out of this? Man, I'll tell you, like that brand and that association and those partners, we learned brand. We what did, what like that's learn? where that's where it started. I realized like did listen, life is just like try to get as many people through the line as possible and put them in a smothered burrito or put them in a taco. Like it was all like Costa Vida was all like like it was all performance driven. It was all like how many units, like how much revenue can you do and how much money can you make? And so we would look at a metric and go like, well, let's move thirty five to forty people through the line every fifteen minutes. That was at Costa. Mm. At Blue Lemon, it was like, how do we make people feel through our food? Mm. How do people feel in our environment? So, how did you? What did you learn about brands? Like what? Like what? Dude, lessons I, around brands? Yeah, can you drop. I started on to learn how important the environment truly is to experience. Okay, that was interesting to me. Like, I had never paid attention to the psychology of the customer mm. before that. What I paid attention to prior to that was how many customers can I get through the line. So what did you like? Learn how many about- are voting with their wallets? So let's yeah. get into the details. Give me some lessons on the yeah. psychology of partnership. Yeah, I like. I started understanding like what colors do people pay attention to in dining rooms? Like, what what do they think about when they come into a dining room space? Like, I learned about the anthropology of space. I don't even know what anthropology meant back then, but I started learning. Like, okay, we use glass and we use sharp edges, and and why do we like white countertops and. Why do we want to build our kitchens out of floor-to-ceiling glass? Because we were kind of cutting edge. We were bringing a fresh element to the fast casual sector. And so if we were going to be healthy and very transparent, then we wanted to actually celebrate the fact that we lived in a glass house. Mm-hmm. And so instead of walking in and experiencing something like a grab-and-go counter top, you, we created these counters that looked like jewelry boxes. So we'd have like our, our muffin or our sugar cookie or a cupcake in what looked like appeared to be like a jewelry box okay because we wanted everything to feel beautiful yeah and so that uh really understanding and honoring and going to work on like why people make decisions in certain spaces or how space makes people feel which is a huge part of my life today yes like i mean clearly you could tell I mean, this environment that you just walked through at Sunday's Best is like walking into my house. Like, I'm a, I'm a sucker for mid-century mod architecture. I'm a sucker for, like, how, again, colors, textures, prints, those things. Like, I love the, the psyche that space plays on you. And Blue Lemon taught me the most early in my career about honoring and, and, and creating space with intention. Okay, let's get yeah. into some of the details about what the lessons it, you like specific. Yeah. You mentioned color. You mentioned anthropology of spaces. You mentioned yeah. sharp edges. Uh-huh. And, let's talk about color. Yeah. With this group, the Blue Lemon, what were the colors? Yeah, well, it was blue, of course, yeah. which was like not a known restaurant color. 
but what what's right. the, the significance of blue? Why well, blue? Well, I'll tell you. Like it was warm and inviting. Mm. Um, there's something like timeless and 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 inviting about blue. Red's like really sharp and bold and like right in your face. Blue is like calm. It's water. It's sky. There's there's a happy and comforting element associated with blue, Trust. which is why you see this around us yep. right now. There's something about this blue that is warm that you want to touch. If this is red or yellow or bright, there's an energy that comes off of it. Mm-hmm. Where blue, you're like, I want to lay with it. Yeah, I want to be close to it. Mm-hmm. I can have a conversation here. Mm-hmm. I'm having a conversation with you here. But if this environment is bright... Or red, like I love that energy, but this blue allows us to bring energy. It feeds us. Yeah, and I have blue in my logo as well. And there's specific reasons why I chose blue. Yo. Loyalty and trust. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and all the other things that you're saying too. Yeah. It's a very powerful color. Yeah. Uh, what about what do you mean by anthropology of space? Yeah. So what is that? Yeah, it's wild. So you said you didn't even know what anthropology. Yeah, was. I didn't even I didn't realize it. It's what like is, it's, what is un, it's like really understanding like the importance of how a space is curated and how it makes you feel. Okay. Like you internalize, you internalize things through your sensory. From, exactly. From your wow. eyes, from your ears to your nose to like just what you feel through every bit of your sensory. And so like, I think there's a little bit like the actual formal definition versus what it means in my heart and in my reality. My reality is I articulate the anthropology in space and how a space activates your sensory. That's what it means to me. Yeah. You said something earlier. I don't know if you remember it, but you said people want to be seen here. Yeah. 100% remember that. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? Listen, this is a place like I love creating space where everyone has a chance to feel beautiful. What is that? Yeah. And, and when I like when I walk in and I see I don't care who you are, I don't care what walk of life you came from. I've created a space for you to come in and see yourself and see others. Mm. And you see it happening right now. Like the dynamic and the and the demographic of individuals sitting in this dining room right now blows my mind. I got like the cheer champions. I've got, you know, the mom, the grandma and her kids in here. I've got the young couple that's like, can't wait for it to turn 1130 so that they can have their first cocktail. I've got the business meeting on the happy meeting on the outside. I got the college girls at the end and I've got the mom with a baby, you know, and her kids all right now that I'm just looking at. But what you'll see if we walk inside or our Instagrammable moments, or you're going to see the TikToks and the and the Instagrammers and the influencers that just walk in here because they're going to see. And, and when I say like a place to be seen, in addition to first and foremost, that reflection of you, like I, I've always wanted to help people build their inner confidence. I don't know what it is, but the moment I realized that I could start walking by a mirror and appreciate that person that I see every time I see one just gave me an interesting, I don't know, edge, dynamic, opportunity, confidence, but you know, I don't walk past a mirror that I don't like now. Mm. I want to help other people realize that we're all unique in our own way and we all have an opportunity to be seen and it starts with seeing ourselves. Yes, man. And I build dining rooms for that. Yes. So, okay. So, we learned a lot from this time <laughs> at Vice President. Yeah. Or, uh, when you were That's the where President. I grew in too, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, any other big transformative lessons, pivotal moments for you that help form you into the man you are today to be able to execute the way you're executing? Well, I mean, that's a big, big question. Uh, you know, honestly, through this journey, the one thing that has maintained constant that I believe has been the biggest contributor to my success over those years is that when we're younger, and I don't, I'm not saying that age or time or experience has something to do with it. My 11-year-old is the most confident person I've ever met. 
Like it's crazy. Like she she is so bold and gives like zero shits about what anybody else thinks about her style, about her thing. She's critical. Her coaches, her parents, she's very self-critical. She wants to do better in everything that she does, but she brings this confidence that just exudes, makes a dad incredibly proud. And when her and I are together, it's a it's an absolute powerhouse. And her mama brings it too, like brings it big time. But I would say that my biggest contributor through all of these journeys is that I continue to become more and more self-aware. And my self-awareness has allowed me and, and championed me to be a much better leader, uh, father, husband, partner, boyfriend, whatever it is along the way, like that self-awareness. And I can tell you that through this journey, I wasn't always a great boss. Mm. I wasn't always a, a great uh, business partner. In fact, I, I, to be honest, I could have been a much better business partner in a, in a lot of those scenarios. I could have been a better thought partner and boss. It just so happens that enough of the outcome was positive that it continued to, to stack in, it, in its you know, pro- progress, you know, its progression towards... I think a greater, you know, shinier North Star. So I'm guessing these yeah. experiences where you weren't the greatest boss or the greatest business partner were before yeah. the McHenry Group or during. I, I think the reality is they just all have have compounded. Like over time, you just learn, right? I look back in moments now and go, I, I really carried myself that way. Now, of course, we talk about journey, but we're having a heart to heart. Like yeah. you don't create success without a wake. Now you want to have as little casualty in it as possible, but. Like winning and creating success, so many people think of the outcome, Eric. They think of the triumphs, the 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 podium, the award, the accolades, yeah. the milestones, the fat checks, the covers of magazines, the interviews, the those pieces. What people don't understand about winning is it's hard mm-hmm. and it's dark mm-hmm. and it's lonely mm-hmm. and it's un it's it doesn't give a shit about you. When was it dark? When was it lonely? Honestly, my practice is always dark and lonely. Like I show up when no one else wants to. I create when it turns on. Like my brain doesn't have like an on and off switch. It's just like when it's there, I got to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, do I think that 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 the journey to winning is is very uh, disciplined? It's it's ruthless. It can be dirty at times. Um, it's unapologetic. It's, you know, I'm sounding like Tim Grover now, but he, he just articulates it so well. Like I think the biggest champions in the world understand that space and it's solitude. Right. Yeah. And we have to earn that, you know, we earn that in the dark. Here's um, the thing. I really to want to put shine, I, I, sunshine on that. I, I, and I, I like the vulnerability of you saying yeah. I wasn't always the best boss. Yeah. I wasn't always the best partner. Yeah. yeah. We fuck up. We make mistakes. Fox, dude. Give me an example. <laughs> of a time you weren't a great boss. Oh get, shit. Get humble dude. here, man. Like give an example of and what like and Yo. what you learn from that mm-hmm. and why you'll never do that again. Listen, I think there is something to be said about faking it until you make it. I think there's a level of confidence associated with that. But I think creating a narrative that you know something that you don't know long enough that it becomes your behavior uh, is unhealthy. And I was good at early in my career at articulating what you know looked like uh, success, what looked like we're there or we're on our way there. I want to make sure I'm, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. There, you mentioned faking it till you make it. There's yeah. a certain point of that that's unhealthy. Yeah. 
what what part of that's unhealthy? When you spend more time trying to cover up your performance, or you t- spend more time trying to justify your performance instead of just being very clear and candid about the fact that you fell short and that you need help. Why is well, that powerful? When you when you're able to to swallow that pill, what happens? How does that change things? Because then you're you're comfortable enough to discuss the undiscussable. Mm. Like you're willing to raise your hand and ask for help. And I think that's the difference. When you said, how do you manage that ego? I think the first part that comes with managing a big ego is, is your ability to be vulnerable, your ability to be teachable, yeah. your ability to go like, listen, dude, I fucked up, but I, I really mean it. Like yeah. I, like I, I, I just, I had too much insecurity early in my career that I had the confidence, right? I had the ego to like get to the outcome, but I was doing it like at all costs. Give me an example of a cost. <laughs> uh, sabotaging any personal relationship close to you. Mm. Like never being home. Like this is the yeah. stuff that this is this is why this podcast yeah, exists. Totally. Like because this is this is like this the reality spending, of the industry. The This is when your family wants to be with you. Yeah. And you're spending Thanksgiving on the road because you realize that you would you want to develop the team the next day yeah. or you want to be in Colorado for the day after Thanksgiving because you want to sell as many gift cards as possible, but your family's expecting you to be home. Yeah. And, and that was just like, to me, I didn't realize that, that you could just speak about your sacrifices that like now I can sit down and say, Hey, for the next three weeks, this is what life's going to look like. But here's the outcome that I'm, I'm seeking before I just say, oh, I'll see you there and then just not show up. Mm-hmm. And so I just I lacked a level of of just transparency and of self confidence and awareness that ultimately held me back and it sabotaged opportunities for me. Yeah. Like you're sitting with someone that like, dude, I got fired along the way. Like I, I I've been the guy that's been that? broke and and has has been sued and has been divorced and has had those things before. You're just sitting with a guy, you know, after 15 years that. I feel like now is having overnight successes. Okay. Because I pulled my head out of my ass along okay. the way. We're going to take our first break to thank yeah. our sponsors. And we're going to be right back and talk <laughs> about you pulling your head out of your ass. <laughs> totally. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guests. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's Chow Now 
com slash unstoppable we're back and i mean you painted a huge picture for us of who you were uh, clearly just talking to your strengths or your energy your motive like you're just you you, you bring it man like Yo, and, and, you, you. and you energize people <laughs> and you have big dreams you have you're dedicated to your craft you're dedicated you're dedicated to your goals at all costs all yep. expenses and it sounds like you started to realize that you you needed people and that you need to become more self-aware and considerate of others to go the distance. Is that no question? Was, was that what was going on here? A hundred percent. So get into the, the like. What was the catalyst? The 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 trigger? The <laughs> thing that you said, man, I gotta pull my head out of my ass and maybe start thinking about other people. It, it really started to happen in Even Stevens, right? What's like, Even Stevens? So Even Stevens was another opportunity that came following uh, Blue Lemon, and and really, there's a, an important lesson in there that. Like I found myself trying to continue to be a pleaser, like wanting, you know, everyone around me, you know, to like succeed and to be heard and to win. And, and, and the reality is that when you focus on everything, you, you focus on nothing. When you focus on everything, you achieve everything. Mm. Right. And I don't mean that like in the, the specific of the goal. It's just like, if your goal is to make everybody get there, then the reality is, is you won't you won't find yourself. I think in in the actual outcome that you're capable of or or seeking the full potential because you're weighing down by trying to believe that everybody in that environment belongs there, and that's just not our life. Not everyone plays the same way. Not everyone achieves in the same way. Not everyone has the same aspiration. And there I found like I was losing a bit of this evolution of like growing in my self-awareness, growing in my confidences, owning my mistakes, like owning my relationships, um, realizing that that maybe at times I wasn't the, the best to, to engage with. I think I have always done a pretty fair job of, of like, you know, speaking in the open environment, especially publicly. But in the locker room, and I'm going to use that as, as, as another reference and, and the an reality analogy. is, is an analogy was... Like behind the scenes, I'm tough. Give me an example. Like I'm tough. Like behind the scenes, like here, right? We we talk so much about inviting in the guest, getting tableside with the guest, our obsession with their experience, our hospitality, our graft, our environment, our consistency, being seen, creating environment, those those Instagramable or social moments that we create through our connectivity, those are all things that are outward. On the inside, we're talking about how to strategize, how to yield as much as we can possibly out of every engagement economically? How do we create the most furthering experience through our hospitality and craft, which from from an internal to external conversation, the external conversation looks in here sounds something like, we want to create the most furthering experience possible by, uh, by starting that meal with a great uh, a beignet, a monkey bread, and then getting and then moving into something a little more uh, oyster and... and uh, shrimp cocktail and then getting into an entree and then we want you to drink phases of of you know cocktail to champagne and, and end with a coffee after dinner or after your brunch meal right so that's what that seems like but in a locker room it's sell as much as you possibly can yeah it is get more units on the ticket it is don't start that table without upselling um we have a per guest cover average we expect to make 30 dollars per cover making this number up but we don't tell the guests that. We don't put that on social. That doesn't sound on the outside. But if we end up at 22 and our expectation is 30, we're having a conversation on an $8 gap per person. Mm-hmm. And that's a different conversation that brings pressure. And I think that any successful business owner, whether they want to own that on the open forum or not, 
Those conversations take place. And so there's an intensity that comes with being on and off plan versus what you see you know, day in and day out, which is like we our arms are wide open and we're inviting as many people in as we can and we're loving and hugging our 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 guests and 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 those that fill our bleachers and everything that comes along with it, but we're also out here to win. Right? I love it, we're out here to win. And and when you're out here to win, you gotta be both. I love it, dude. So let's get into it. Let's start getting into yeah. um two thousand eighteen you found McKinley restaurant group. Yeah. The, the the McHenry group. Yes, sir. Um <laughs> where were you in life just before opening? What's what's going on? Paint that picture of where you were, what you're looking for. And what was My going. last transition, I just I came out of it pretty emotional. Uh, it was hard. Like I I believed big in a mission. I had a big team and and you know I loved and, and cared and still do for many of those people then and now. And uh, I came out of that realizing that I'm just not a good employee. I'm a horrible employee. <laughs> like I'm just not a good employee. I call because, myself unemployable. Yeah, like there's a reason why I travel around the country and, talking to people. And I and I don't own, hire me. I own that shit. <laughs> now, but then I hit this self-convincing narrative that I wanted to be someone else's CEO. Wait, why were you a bad employee? Let's get into that a little bit more. Remember when you asked me, you touched on that autonomy piece, and I said I just want to be focused on outcomes. Or you know, you go through the journey. You're like, well, where did space change for you? And what was the biggest contributor? And we talk about self awareness, and we go through this journey. My breakthrough in my self awareness was realizing that I don't work well for other people. And when and was this? What's that? When was this? When did you have this realization? I had this realization about four years ago. Okay. However, it's it's pretty it's a pretty constant thread throughout my whole career that like when I got to a turning point the transitions on paper or as we speak about them all seem very positive, you know, in reality, but they're not always positive. There's differences. There was, you know, clashing, there was adversity, there was uh you know, you want to go left and I want to go dead straight. You want to stop and I want to keep going. And I say that uh, genuinely I'm, I've always been like foot on the gas, hand on the steering wheel, one on the stereo, the other one on my phone. Like, it's like I've always been like, just keep going. Pointed north at all costs, no matter what. Like, yeah. I just, I'm a pressure guy. I'm a, I'm a high energy, high horsepower guy. Why isn't that good as a, an employee? I think that because oftentimes I think that, uh, you know, with a, with a stallion or any like high plowing, uh, you know, force, you want to pull in the reins. I'm not here for that. Like I'm all gas all the time. Like Got this it. is me. What you're seeing, like I think you saw this in my early engagement behind the scene. This is me. <laughs> yeah. I'm this way until I fall asleep yeah. every single day. Gotcha. And anyone who knows me knows that it exhausts some people that don't know it. Other people love it. Uh, but I just the biggest thing for me was realizing that I just don't work well for so other people. So you realize this? How did you start living intentionally thereafter to? I had to give it up. Give I had to up. give it up. Yeah. I had to give up the the corporate security of spending the last several years on the C suite of emerging brands. I had to give up like fat salaries and uh, options and uh, stabilities, insurances, programs, uh, thought partnership boards, CFO, CMO, CEOs. I'd give up all of that to literally walk away from that to a sixty seven seat restaurant in in Salt Lake City, you know, Draper suburbia. So where did it all start? Where did the, the McHenry Group start? Right there at Oakwood Fire Kitchen in Draper. 
Okay. A few miles from our conversation right now. So how did this come? This opportunity come to you? They contacted me knowing that I uh, there was some association with the owners, and they contacted me and said, "Hey, Michael, we're looking to sell this business, and." would you give, give us basically like a current state analysis and help us get ready for market? And I'm like, well, I'm not a business broker, but I know the industry. So yeah, I'll come in and, and basically consult with you and get you a value. And hopefully you can take it to market and get something for it. And I went through it. And instead of helping them identify, identify a value, I just looked at kind of my internal team, the people that had been with me because a, a handful of my team had followed me, you know, like classic executive yeah. stuff. Your team, your core team kind of follows you brand after brand. And I looked at them and I just said like, you guys, you know where we are and the, where the, were you? The aspiration. They knew where you were. Yeah. Where were you? Let us know where you were. Yeah. So we were at uh, a brand called Even Stevens at okay. the time. And, um, and, and kind of shit was just happening like it does with any other emerging brand and and there was a founder and and it, you know as much as we all wanted to be owners and believe that we were contributing to that we were all employees and and there were just differences and and the reality is they're good people like in, in a lot of ways and it was a great brand point is is we make it there we make it to oak and there's an opportunity for us to help them sell it maybe i can broker the deal make a little bit of money who knows i wasn't a broker at the time um in any or a business broker really even had the experience or acumen i think to really value that business from the outside in so point being is i go into it we come up with this value and instead of giving it to them to send it to market i basically grabbed the value less 50 percent, and sent them a text message and said hey i'll i'll buy it Wait, the value less 50% meaning... Yeah, meaning like I thought the business was probably worth like, you know, X amount. And I just out of, out of nowhere, in fact, the offer could have probably felt a little bit offensive. I just kicked him a, a text message and said, here's what I would give it. I'll give it. I'll give you this amount for the business Today. after talking to my yeah. friends. Yeah. And I honestly just expected they would bounce back. Like, no, dude, we're not going to do it. And they said yes. And three weeks later, we were all in. See, this is a lesson. Sometimes people just are looking for, their, for an exit. They just want. To, and it's not. It's not like trying to do this. It's not trying to screw anyone. It's literally just like, here's why. And let me. I'm going to be really candid here. Of course, I offered what I knew I could afford. Yeah. I couldn't afford what I thought the business was worth. Yeah. I just made an offer at the amount of money I had. Yeah. And they said yes. And I went, fuck, let's go. <laughs> I love that. And this man. business was in motion for four and a half years. And let me just put this in perspective. My friends and partners at the time, we took a business that was four and a half years mature with 67 seats in Salt Lake City, suburbia. And we more than tripled revenue over the course of the next two years. So this is like, this you understand, first- like that, that is... That doesn't happen. So this is Oak Woodfire. Yes, uh, uh, yes, kitchen. yeah. That's Oak Woodfire Kitchen. Yeah. So that's 2018. Um, what did you do to triple the revenue? And how Bro, are you asking you for like secrets now? That's the whole point. Of the All right, show. cool. We're, we're sharing listen, knowledge, dude. That's the listen. Whole here's of the show here's is what to we pay totally here. Here's and listen, dude. I'm all about it. Like, I'm all about sharing everything because at the end of the day, you have to execute, right? I'll share the recipe. I'll share the method. You still got to bake the cake. Yeah, like that's that's what's up now. Like the the, the you techniques of your method, that's really important. Yeah, though. I think people get so worried about sharing information. Like it's like like that information is what makes them successful. Yeah, it contributes. But you know, no matter what you know, you can read every book in the world to get the information. What's gonna make you successful is your ability to execute. And Bro, show let's up. let's just use the recipe, right? Yeah. Like you can have all the ingredients, right? You can read all the take a cookbook. 
You can read all the ingredients, buy all the ingredients, and then go through the steps of the method. But the reality is, if all four of us right now went over the same recipe with the same ingredients and did and followed the method, all four of those cakes would look different. Yep. And it just so happens that which cake do people want to eat? Well, I think it's the one that we bake. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Like, pun intended. People want to eat our cake. And, and we're fucking good at it. And we're good at it for this reason. Like, once we are clear... We pursue with unwavering pursuit. And some of this sounds redundant because I don't complicate our business. When you say like, how did you, how did you more than triple revenue and under two years with a four and a half, you know, year old mature business? Because we showed up every single day with a goal and we achieved it. So this and so we just like, kept moving it every single so week. Distill the lesson in what it is that you do well. Is it the vision? Is it communicating the vision? And then there, what happens thereafter? No one executes like me. How do you, what is it that you do that nobody else does? That I never give up no matter what. Like think of the last two years. I was the only, one of the only restaurants in Utah and one of the only in the country that never closed. None of my restaurants closed. None of them. That guy sitting right there I met because of that. I never closed. Mm-hmm. And some people go like, are you crazy? Dude, I got the hate mail I got was nuts, dude. The stuff that people wrote in, like you and and the school board, and and you know, you might as well be running. This is this is just reality. A modern day concentration camp in your dining rooms. And I'm like, who the fuck are you people? Who talks like that? And I'm like, here's the reality. Like, here's the reality. No, because here's why. Here's why I stayed open. For one big reason, I had 140 livelihoods that were dependent on the decisions that I make every single day. And I was unwilling to jeopardize that for them. What would make you a con- what part of that is a concentration camp? No, that's that's the point. Like because I'm bringing customers because, into my dining rooms because because they're choosing to show they're, up. They're choosing to show up, or I wasn't making the masks. You know, like you couldn't walk through my front door without a mask on. And in no way, am I I don't consider myself an anti-masker or anti-vaxer. I'm just saying I'm here to connect people, and and. My commitment to my team was to keep people employed, to keep food on their table. And I had a sense of calmness day one. Like I was never concerned. Ignorant or not, I was never concerned. And so it put me into this interesting place of responsibility. Like I was like, wait a minute, if I'm so calm, I have a stewardship to, to maintain my business and, and to you know, provide and perform on our asset. But even more so, like I have people. I have 140 families Like 140 team members, that's direct, but indirect, it could have been 300, 400. Like by the time their families and their kids and who's dependent on them, I had a responsibility. And so I I believe that the the reality in that is that was a big pivotal moment for us that like, I just don't listen or pay attention to other people's noise. I just keep us focused on the outcome. And that was one of the biggest things we ever did for our business. And I don't want to derail and come off of that. When you ask me, like, what's the biggest contributor? I'm just going to tell you right now, like, I execute differently. So, I mean, there's something to be said about focus and intentionality and vision mm-hmm. and, and keeping your people focused and saying, this is the goal. How are we going to get there? Yo, but what always. Ex- but what, like, strategically, or what's the word I'm looking for? Like, what were the processes, the <laughs> the approaches, the yeah. the routines, the the lessons that you were giving your team to execute? How did you do it? 
Well, I think first and foremost, and, and I don't want to make this sound too elementary, but just like get super clear on what success looks like and define it for yourself and for your team. What was your picture that you were selling your team in 2008? What was clear? What was yeah, the goal? Totally. I mean, in 2018, I believe is where, where you were. Right? Yeah. To, in 2018, did I say it's, it's really clear. It looks something like this. Like we, we expect to do X amount by week. Here are our potential revenue streams, takeout, delivery, dine-in, catering. And here are the resources that we have available. And this is how we're going to go get it together. And was that plan perfect? No, but the plan was plan enough for us to get moving. And as I mentioned to you before, 70% right, 110% sure. We just would adjust when we were, when we were exceeding plan, we would pour gas on it. When we were off plan, we'd adjust, but we made that common. It was a language that we all spoke together. Was there and- structure to re, so when, when you were on, yeah. Like, like, what would you like? How would you have meetings saying like, "Here's where we said we were going to be. Here's where we are." Like, what were the things that you were doing yeah, to was, stay on it track? Was, so we do it every single, and we do it every day here. Like, we return and report. Okay. So, like every single day, like we talk about, like for me, like we have a recipe in the performance side of our business. It's like, hey, we plan by month, right? We set by week and we execute by day. Like we plan by month, we set by week, and we execute by day. And we have an on and off. And that we, we just have a report and we have a return and report in every single day. This is the stuff every single I'm shift. For. Yeah. And this is this is the reality of how you win. Right? Like look at the best teams, and I'm gonna use sports, not as a dumbing down analogies, this is a reality. There's a reason why when you're Tom Brady, you get off the sideline and you re- and you're he's looking at photos and he's re- and he's reviewing film in real time. In real time, yeah. he's the most decorated in the league because the best want to only be better. Mm-hmm. And so in our cultures, I instill a, a behavior that as our maxim that there's no finish line. And we stole that from Nike. And and Nike, you can hear that from me. I stole that from you. And it's made a lot of people better. And I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> it's one of our maxims. Like we have no finish line around here. And, um, and we celebrate and, and this is the last and, and one of the, one of the important pieces is that everybody benefits from that outcome. I reward everyone on the top and bottom. Meaning like if you work on my teams in leadership, you get paid on the top line as well as the bottom. You don't just get paid off of what I determine is the profit or we and our decisions. You get paid off of moving the needle North. So you grow revenue every single week. So you do profit sharing? Totally. How do you structure that? Yeah, it's real simple. Like I just have a sale based off of here's what we expect to do and anything that you perform over that in revenue, you get X amount. Here's your expectations in, in our prime or our controlled areas and you have a straight value that's associated with you run your budget, you get X amount. You run labor, you get X amount. You run food costs or cost of goods sold, X amount. But you make all of your money here on growth. How many different ways is that X amount split up? Uh... It's very situational, meaning like our leadership teams, each of them have a plan. So if you're a, if you're a kitchen manager or a chef de cuisine or an executive chef, you have a plan. And what's interesting is like how many executive chefs or kitchen managers or chef de cuisines do you know in the business that actually get paid on revenue? Not enough. Not enough. But here, every single one of mine do. I love it. Because I believe that that's what gets like today. I patted my... my uh, <laughs> Oh shit! Um, I put my arm around Chef today when I walk in, right? And uh, and his name's Ray, and he's like, "Oh, dude, sunburn." I'm like, "Oh," and he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Bro, I." He's like, "That was from setting up the patio yesterday." <laughs> now, just think about that for a moment. Like, that's my chef setting up the patio. You know why? Because there was fifty-two more seats, and he benefits from that. Yeah, and and so like What's I in believe it for me. 
I believe getting yeah. everybody focused on our greatest goal, which is revenue. Mm-hmm. Now, like, of course, I don't want to take the soft sense away from it, you guys. Like, I'm not trying to say that I, don't, I look at everyone who's sitting here as a value. I look at everybody here as a valuable, like, contributor to our success. Like, I love Jen. In fact, that's a true story. She's sitting across from us right now. That's someone I actually love and I appreciate. I met them in the dining room. Her and her husband I met in the dining room during the middle of the pandemic because they showed up like two or three times a week just to support us. Now, I'm seeing them out of that restaurant. That was a couple years ago. This is one of our new restaurants. Just fun to see them sitting here while this is going on. But the reality is when you get everybody focused on your North Star and you reward them for their contribution and their outcome, you win as a collective. Mm. And listen, pigs get fed and hogs. Pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered. I got screwed early in my career. (laughs) Like I all tell you, I got my doctorate. Also, a big part of my doctorate is like learning what not to do. Okay. Like remember, like some of that's like listen. I don't believe in like just like working people to death and not rewarding them. What were the things you were not gonna do when you started the McHenry Group? Not reward people for a job well done. Mm. Simple. Like one of our biggest maxims in the McHenry Group: number one, don't fuck with people's pay. Mm Mm-hmm. I love him, man. Like, like, um, like it. Dude. We gotta so, say it. We got a few. When we're, we yeah. got time. We got another thirty Let's minutes. Keep going, together. bro. Yo. Uh, we have six restaurants that you own to this day. <laughs> so in four years, you open six restaurants. Uh, more than that, because I know you have Dirty Bird, which you're, I think in 2000... I just exited Dirty Bird. Well, you, I yeah. thought you still had a percentage there. We, we most definitely still have a, a position there, but we sold it to a great group. You know, Wax my, Capital, they're taking it to the moon. So uh, you built that in 2021. You sold that in August of 2021. You sold it... twenty Opened it in uh, 2020. Sorry, sold yeah. it in 2021. So yeah. you, you built a brand, sold it a year later... For we opened the first location six weeks pre-pandemic, pre-shutdown, and we never closed, and we sold it 20 months later. For $20 million. I mean, there was a big number. Yeah, that, that's like an all-in number, right? That, that included growth capital over the next several locations. But yeah, I mean, the reality is you can look at that acquisition that yielded somewhere around $87,000 a square foot, which in our business is crazy. I mean, I want to talk about that. That's probably one of the, one of the more recent <laughs> things that have yeah. happened. Um, but you also, I think it's worth talking about, you, you developed six brands. So... Is, is that right, or did you close any? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta count them. Well, the, the brands I, I have um, right in front of me yeah. are under the TMG brands: yeah. Yeah. Dirty Bird, Sunday's Best, where we're sitting today, um, Always Noon, uh, Woodfire Kitchen, Oak, Oak Fire Oak, Kitchen. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Oak Woodfire Kitchen, uh, Healthy. My image, got the Healthy cut and Full off. Initiative. Yeah, and then the Ginger. Yeah, uh, Ginger Street, Ginger baby. Street. Yeah. So, are these all one-off locations, or how many of these have multiple locations? Yeah. So, uh, one of them has multiple locations currently. Which one's yeah. that? Dirty Bird. Dirty Bird. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And you sold Dirty Bird, but, but you still have minority stake in that. Yeah. Um, it's a smart place to be. So in which order did you go and open these places? So we started with Oak, then we opened Ginger Street, then we went from Ginger Street to Dirty Bird, and we went from Dirty Bird to Sunday's Best. And then in between, I launched the Healthy and Full Initiative, which is our give back initiative that we launched during the pandemic. That's how I kept our restaurants open. And uh, and then Always Noon is my digital uh agency with my partner, Jared Miller, who, um, who is uh, my visual storyteller and a creative director uh, inside of the McHenry Group. He's, he's, uh, he's a glowing thought partner and creative talent of mine. So, All right. So, so okay. Um, so the first was um, Oak. Yep. Then you said Ginger? Yeah. So uh, Oakwood Fire Kitchen, Ginger Street, uh, Dirty Bird, and then Sunday's Best. And then we launched uh, Always Noon, really pretty much right at the start of the McHenry Group. 
because Always Noon provided us a unique opportunity to create like digital content, brand build, uh, as well as like uh, web design and and uh, like all digital brand assets specifically to the restaurant business. That's why it's called Always Noon. Because if you sit here and you go like, well, what hour of every day? If I was to turn every hour in a twenty-four hour day into one hour. In the restaurant business, what what hour would it be? And a lot would say noon. Some might say five, some might say six, some might say seven. But we all know that a universal time of the day, if someone says you want to go to lunch, you quickly create the association with noon. Whether we eat lunch at noon or not, all with noon was the, the reality is we as a as brand build as a digital agency, as as a marketing brand agency, we're going to help you uh, we're going to help you achieve the noon hour every operating hour of the day. And so, um, which quickly turned into our own projects and the success that we were creating. So we didn't really open it up to many others from the outside. We did help a few brands uh, win along the way, but we quickly realized our ability for concept creation. Okay. So it seems like your big thing, the thing that jive, like you get excited about is creating vision, sharing vision, motivating to others. Concept to, creation. To hit goals. That's my thing. So... Oak was the first restaurant with the McHenry Group. Yep. Um, when did you? How much time between Oak and Ginger? Uh, let's see. We I we we acquired Oak in like August. We basically relaunched it through like our initiative, some new tuning environment, some aesthetic updates and operations. Uh, like first or second week of that September, and opened Ginger Street following June. So they were basically like. Ten months apart. Okay. Um, then when did then you had Dirty Bird, which which opened the following January. Okay. So like so, yeah. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like eventually, you seem to quickly remove yourself from the day to day, and that's because you opened with the team. Yeah. Okay. Listen, it's duplicating yourself and others. Like the biggest part of my recipe is is my ability to like inspire, like activate, uh, execute, and reward my team. What advice do you have for us doing that? Like that this is your your secret weapon. Like what? How do you do that well? How can you teach us how to do that? Well, I think it starts with my max. I'm like truly in your heart. If you really want to duplicate in your likeness, if you really want to create business for scale, you have to figure out how to champion others, give them a reason to work for you, and reward them. Like give people a reason to work for you and reward them. And and oftentimes rewards not just monetary. Like invest in helping them become better humans. What reasons like, do what reasons do you give them to work for you? I mean, one is they're always gonna work on what I believe to be the most progressive concepts. So like they're always gonna work for like the next coolest thing. I believe that's people wanna be a part of it, right? Like this is a top labor uh, market, right? Think about all the businesses or restaurateurs that you're talking to and they're complaining about team members or lack of team members or you can't even go to a fast QSR right now and like, oh, the dining room's closed because we don't have enough team members. Is that happening? No. No? Oh, yeah. You've yeah. you seen like you Sorry. go to a, a Wendy's or a Arby's, right? You know, I'm thinking of major brands, right? Across the country that like their dining rooms aren't open because they don't yes, have enough labor or yeah. you try to go to a Starbucks to get a coffee you and talk there's fast, no one there. Yeah. There's, there's no one there. <laughs> Here, we literally have people walking in and dropping off resumes. Yeah. Like dropping off resumes in the toughest labor conditions of the market. So I think environment's a big part of it. Um, the environment we create, I think people truly want to be a part of. Um, I'm non-traditional when it comes to my comp plans. I don't look at market for my wage scales. I look at opportunity for my wage scales. I don't give a shit what minimum wages are. I don't give do you, a shit what, what people you are paying. you look for opportunity for your wage scales? What does that mean? Yeah, like I look at like, hey, labor to me is investment in an expected outcome, not a percentage on my income statement. 
Yeah. So those that have acumen in business that understand it, like I don't look at things as an expense. I look at a cost in my business as an investment in an expected outcome. So if I want to have the best talent, then I got to invest in that best talent. And that doesn't mean that I get to pay like two fifteen an hour sometimes or that that yeah, maybe that business from the outside looking in, they go, Well you you have a seventy five seat restaurant and you do a one point three million dollars in revenue, you shouldn't pay someone more than fifty five thousand dollars a year base. I'm like, listen, if I want an eighty thousand dollar a year talent running my business, I'm gonna find a way to invest eighty thousand dollars a year in that talent to go get that outcome. Yeah. And so to this, me it's it's reverse. Yeah, this is something I'm personally struggling with, honestly, because I'm I think a lot of people if they don't come from abundance, if they were born in a family who didn't have like their cup wasn't constantly overflowing what you have you hang on to and you don't give yourself these opportunities it's it's a mindset of scarcity when you should be having a mindset of abundance and in belief that if i do what's right by others if i have this thing and i can give it to somebody and and the the intention is that they're going to add a certain amount of value and we can grow together like it's this mindset of of abundance you have to spend to make like you know, we didn't dig too deep and, and like going back to where we started in a sense, like I, I made the reference that like my dad taught me how to love, mm. but that there was no one really sitting at my dining room table making sure I did my homework or like what school I was going to go to or what I aspire to be, right? So if it was to society and I'll just say it, like neither of my parents graduated high school, mm. right? Like that, that kind of formal education, even education was like a big deal to them. But for me... I realized that I could be abundant, that I could go out and I could earn and create opportunities. And so when you kind of take it back to that place of like, how do we become more abundant? To me, it just became a big choice. And I get a lot of gratification in seeing other people win. Mm -hmm. I really, truly do. Like I I get a lot of gratification in seeing other people win. And because of that, uh, I feel like we've created abundance. And so if, how do we create that correlation with our people? Like, when people join my team, I think they quickly understand that like I'm vested in them as people, right? And how we achieve our potential. And our, it just so happens that we have an outcome and a plan to, to, to point towards at Sunday Best or at Ginger Street or Oak or at Dirty Bird or the next brands. Like I have a the market brand under construction right now. It's going to blow people's minds. Um, I'm not going to tell you much about that right now, but it's going to blow people's minds. So make sure you're watching for that down the road. But giving people a reason to work for you is not just economics. Economics are wildly important to that recipe uh, without question, but it, it, it most definitely is showing people that you can truly invest in their potential. And geez, it just really, it takes off like wildfire. Yeah, man. I love it, dude. Uh, so you also got into a digital brand, Sellside Pizza Company, which I don't see in your portfolio anymore. Did you decide to scrap that? That's what's beautiful about digital brands. You just turn them on and off. Yeah. Like you just turn them on and off. So was that just to get... So sometimes we turn them on on game days. Yeah. Like you might like, you know, like turn it on for the Super Bowl, turn it back off. Yeah. Um, they're all intact. They're cross utilizing SKUs. I have several digital brands. Um, we had a Forbes feature like early on because that was something that was birthed during the pandemic as well. Like I told you, I didn't close, so we built digital brands. Yeah. Like I was running, I was running other brands that like right now, if you go into the Oak Woodfire Kitchen and you you're gonna get the neighborhood's like best like Neapolitan style pizza, you might pay fourteen to fifteen dollars for it in a dining setting. But I built Southside Pizza Co to entertain to a younger demographic that wants to pay seven bucks for a pizza. So that's, well, that went out bucks. of the same line. 
Totally. Got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, like, we developed a, a burger concept that went out of ProVisions in Mill Creek, which is my partner, Chef Tyler Stokes, who, by the way, happens to be the, like, top culinary in, in the country, in my opinion. I'll put him, like, chef to chef with anybody, anytime. Great thought partner. He is my partner, culinary partner in my businesses. He has a, a, a restaurant called ProVisions in Salt Lake, which is, like, one of the city's best diner, or, um, uh, dinner spots and we launched a brand there through his vision called so happy burger so they're this like high-end like uh, new american restaurant called provisions probably average you know guest 60 dollars a cover and they're running like a six item burger brand with like curly fries and double cheeseburgers out, out of the back door on a delivery only platform it was amazing and so that's what i love about digital brands dude they just turn on and off were these profitable for you these digital hell brands? yes okay. But most importantly, kept food on the table for our team. Yeah. Like, forget about like, just like, listen, there was something to be said amid pandemic that there was a new profitability and, and relevance was it was, was your profitability during that time. Like yeah. it wasn't about margin. It was about keeping, like keeping people alive, keeping food on the table, keeping the lights on, like keeping the business moving. That's what it was about for me. And so of, of course, like. Eric, listen, dude, we're in the business to make money, right? We're not here on scholarship. And so you got to remember that. Yeah. Like, we got to remember that as business owners. Well, speaking of that yeah. subject of being in the business to make money, back to Dirty Bird. <laughs> Yo. Uh, opened it in 2021. Uh, a year later, you sell it for $20 million and you're still a minority partner. I'm sure you made a dollar on that deal. What was it about? How, how can we recreate this? What was it about you and what you created in Dirty Bird that WAC Capital was like, yeah. Relevance. What do you mean by that? Like they saw they saw the potential of the brand in one unit. They were like, wow, this resonates. Like Dirty Bird, that just hits different. And they saw the assets. They saw the assets. They saw that... What were your assets? Like they saw the training systems. They saw the onboarding systems. They saw like the, the truth and, and awareness and its identity. They saw how strong it resonates within the guests. They saw really strong and registered IP. Like so, we we own we built a we built a massive brand with a big runway and we sold it before we scaled it. What was your EBITDA before you sold it? Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like again, let me let me rephrase this or let me answer your question differently. I built that brand for relevance during that time, not profitability. I put every single dollar plus ten into making it the biggest brand possible out of two hundred and sixty three square feet. How many total locations did you have before they purchased? one? That blows my mind, man. It really Listen, it's our it's my team's ability to package brand as a whole. Whenever you don't walk in here right now in Sunday's best and think this is the first one. It just it runs it runs too you good. You treat for your that. little business like a big business. Listen, it's the only way I know, yeah. man. Uh, and this and these are little big businesses, right? Dynamite in a small package. Like, dude, this thing again, it's pancakes and champagne and it crushes. What was the biggest selling point for Dirty Bird? I'm just trying to figure out like, because usually I don't see those types of sales unless there's five, six or 10 locations. Let me help you you understand this. We've done it several times. Okay. So it's not like the one hit wonder. It's not like the, oh, this is the first time. It's the, oh, each brand that they've been a part of is successful in the marketplace. Like what they saw is they 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 invested on where we've where we've been and where we are and where they see our potential of going and they went wow we have a chance to buy this now and run it to the moon um, you know Aaron Wagner the founder of Wag Capital said it really well we were doing a national interview together and and it was a huge compliment to me but it also like it set it set in with me he said when we looked at the brand package we were ready to grow I want you to think of it this way when you buy a home right a lot of people buy a home they go I want to make it mine. 
or they buy a home, they want to rehab it. Right, a lot of people that in the in the brand acquisition place, they buy a brand and they remodel it and then they grow. Aaron Wagner said, "While we were doing our due diligence, we literally started committing to locations." And he showed that card to me, which was which a compliment was kind of interesting. But it's like he had eight deals in negotiation before we even closed. Is it does it have anything to do with this brand? Twenty twenty one, you have Nashville hot chicken opening up. In every corner, yeah. I mean, of the there's world. a ho- there's a hotness to it, right? So it was relevant. You had to act fast, totally. You, you had to I make knew that. that. Okay, I I built Dirty Bird as an opportunity brand. I built it with the intent to sell it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say that like why Dirty Bird yielded the type of interest that it did, and why it it really uh, gained that type of of um, attention and acquisition was because it was ready. It wasn't like buy the house and have to paint it and put new appliances in it or like we had to like we or we got to go get the IP or we got to go make sure that the web presence or digital or operations or whatever it might be about the brand they saw it in its whole form and went we're ready to grow yeah and so that's why they were willing to pay like they did why they were willing to commit a 20 million dollar investment for its immediate growth is because the package was ready and the sector is hot literally hot chicken hot Michael, I'm loving this conversation. I want to keep it going. Yo. We got 15 minutes left together. I want to still. We have the speed round. We got to get through, but yeah. I, I really want to. With the time we have left together, yeah. uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, we tra- we transform the industry yeah. by inspiring, empowering each individual at yeah. a time. And I believe if we if we transform the industry, we can transform the world. So with that 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 energy, that thought. Where are we with our industry and where do we need to be? What transformation does our industry need in order for us to transform the world? What needs to change? Listen, we still don't treat people right. Like you're talking to someone right now who's wildly obsessed with the guest and with outcome, who's even more obsessed with his people Mm -hmm. and his neighborhood, right? Like even, even going back to like why we never closed our restaurants during the pandemic is because people right? Community, neighborhood, sociology, they count on their neighborhood restaurant and bar, especially during times of crisis for a place of normalcy. Pub is short for public house, right? Like it is, it is a place of normalcy. It's a place of like where you can trust people and, and like where, where you can count on it, right? Where cheers, where everybody knows your name and we don't treat people right. And, and I believe that I'm a loud voice and a big presence, as I think you guys can tell. I'm not quiet by any means. No. I'm super vocal about the things that I, that I care about, that I'm passionate about. And I celebrate team and essence and community every single day because I want to show other restaurant owners, other restaurateurs, other chefs and creators that you actually can truly make your greatest investment in others. Like, again, I love these assets. I love these brands. I love the outcomes. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but the greatest investment that you can ever make is the investment in others, and I live that. And I believe that our industry still has tremendous opportunity in taking care of people and paying people well and investing in people and not only in their contributions and their work, but in their lives. What's a list of everything a restaurant, every restaurant in your opinion should be doing for their people? I think first and foremost, you you most definitely need to be paying them much more than a livable wage. One. Like, Yeah. I think Keep going. I, I think the reality is that's the first one. I think the second one is create an environment that makes them better. Two, what's next? Three, like participate. Like participate. Like join in. Like don't expect them to do something that you're unwilling to do. 
like participate with them. I think number four, like first and foremost, is be flexible in in their schedule and in and in what they need in their life for their balance, but be unwavering in what you expect in their contribution. Give me and one see, more. Uh, Sorry if I cut you short. I think uh, last and foremost, like just make what success looks like incredibly clear. I think so many people come in and work super hard and they get exhausted and they get burned out because they don't actually know what it means. Like they just come in and they go like, I'm working as hard as I can and I work all day long or I never take a day off or whatever those things are. Just help people understand universally in your operation what success looks like so that people can leave your workforce, can leave their day, can leave your floor, can leave your business with gratification that yep. they contributed to your success. And when they do champion them, don't don't take it. Like I think that's another thing. Never fucking take it for granted. Yeah. Reward them. Yeah, I love like, it. Yeah, reward them. Michael, I've loved this conversation, man. You've been incredible. We're going to take one Yo, more quick break to thank cool. our sponsors. And we're going to be back to bust out a true speed round. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes plus 
Plus, you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I never give up. What is your biggest weakness? Ooh, I care too much. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Take care of their people. What's one question you ask when you're growing your team? What are you looking for? Ooh. I have so many of these that I got to get it to just one. Can you go all in? What is your biggest challenge today? Uh, removing the romantics of the business. How are you dealing with that? Uh, self-convincing narrative and, and protecting the noise, just staying focused on our, on our initiatives and our mission. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a way to be, a way to act, a core value. Like Never lie, never steal. Share one common standard of service you teach your team, something that's common within the four walls of your business is not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond. Um, like Be the best part of someone else's day. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh, that's so good. Uh, I have two. Give me. Okay. Uh, setting the Table, right? Danny Meyer, that's like a, a timeless classic, like yep. hospitality and, and craft. And then Winning by uh, Tim Grover. What's the biggest lesson from winning from Tim, Tim Grover? Uh, the biggest thing he did is, is like celebrate who you are. Like realize that, that being a, a winner uh, is rare. Like it. not everybody wins. Yep. Uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced? Not technology, but a group of people or a person that does something better that you could ever do in house. Ooh, that is so good. Uh, I would say that I always, even now, retain a brand builder. Every time I build a logo, a font, or. Uh, you know, a brand package, I always retain a designer. Who do you work with? Always. A variety. Uh, is there a couple of people that you can help get some business? Get some yeah, variety? I mean, uh, Jared Miller, uh, who's my business partner as well, um, at, uh, at Aurora, they're incredible. Uh, and we have, the next question is, what is one technology you've adopted within the, the four walls of your restaurants that's had a huge impact on communication, profitability, uh, anything along those lines that you would recommend anybody implementing into their business? Yeah, I think a big part of it is like make sure you have the right POS system. I think that like that's overrated. People like try to look at the different prices or the things that are associated with it. Have a great operating system that allows you to track the business and not just the economics, but the overall like menu mix and flow of your business. And so I would throw out and say like Toast is a great operating system. I think that every restaurateur should have a great operating system to manage their business. How has their customer service been for you recently? Uh, I think versus where it was to where it is today, like they're going through the growing pains of mass scale. Yeah. And so like, I think that I used to talk to the founders several years ago and now, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a kind of evolving, uh, you know, support team. But I will say like my team and the ops teams that engage with them on a regular basis, I don't hear complaints. Yeah. That's, I mean, Toast by far the most recommended POS on the show. And I, I try to remind people too, like, 
we weren't the only ones affected by the, the pandemic. They had a mass exodus when, when they got hit, and then totally. they're trying to rebuild their teams too. And restaurants are opening up like left and right, and everyone's going. Just be those. patient. It, they're going yeah, through like, some stuff, yeah, but it patient. is by far the most recommended POS yeah. on the show. Um, and this is the last question, man. We made it to the end. Are you ready for it? It's a doozy. So open up those ears. Let's go. If you got the news, my heart's open too, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for your, the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? I think first and foremost, like the, the greatest investment is the one that you always make into others. One. I think the next side of it is like, just remember that your heart has to be bigger than your balls. Two, yes. <laughs> and I want to leave the world better than I found it three man i've had a lot of fun talking yeah with you. likewise bro uh thank you so much for taking the time to share your story yeah uh, you're your just your energy uh your ability just to to rally people in the and just i think the, the importance of vision came out the, the importance of having a big heart came out of today's conversation it was really a lot of fun to make an cool. example of you who do you respect and admire and if i had them as a guest on the show you'd be like holy crap i'm listening to that industry wanna, specific yeah yeah i I mean, there's a couple of guys I really look up to in the industry, but I would say if there's somebody here that I feel multiple. like I point towards, or I think like David Grumpman yeah. from Groot Hospitality, like that's one that, like I've never met him personally. Yeah. I've experienced his brands. I've, I follow him, you know, from uh, from a distance, most definitely socially. Like he's someone I'm like, okay, like he gets it. Yeah, what, he he really gets it. That's someone that I feel does it does a great job. What about on a national level? Uh, and I most definitely feel like he, he has a global presence. There's no question. I think another one from the concept creation side, also someone who's really been, who's created some very experiential success at scale in our industry is Sam Fox. That's mm-hmm. another one I really like. Those two guys, those are probably the two most aligning kind of uh, groups and firms that I feel like are, are, are uh, inspirational for the McHenry group. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes, like I think Sam is, is a bit of like a Titanic, right? And we're like a, we're like a pissed off speedboat. Yeah. So that was David and Sam. Yeah. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. Yo, I'd love to let's get you on the show. And how can we connect with you or your restaurant group uh, if we want to follow along, if we want to come yeah. join your team? That's the best way to Yeah. Connect. So um, the best way to connect with me personally is at Michael McHenry on Instagram. That's me. I'm, I'm the one engaging it. If you DM me, that's me responding to you. I, I manage and lead all of the content there. That's all of my own copy. That's just me authentically living my life day in and day out. So at Michael McHenry. So just my first and last name uh, at Instagram. Make sure you find the one that's checked, uh, that's verified. That's me. Uh, there's obviously a handful. There's a bunch of, of Michael McHenry's out there, but no underscores, no numbers, no bullshit. Just the, just the blue verification. You know, you got me. Um, I'll have a lightning bolt right next to my name. That's a bit of like my my mantra and own. It's a bit of my stamp and craft. And then at the and then McHenryGroup.com. Uh, just T H E M C H E N R Y G R O U P dot com. You can catch out our brands and uh, some of the stuff that we're teasing that we're doing. Whether we're exiting or, or we're introducing, uh, I think we're going to continue to disrupt the industry one kick ass brand at a time. Michael, thank you so much. Yeah, dude. brother. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Uh, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Let's go. All right, Michael McHenry bringing the energy. I hope you guys all enjoyed that one. I know I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to support this podcast by supporting our sponsors, using our affiliate links, subscribing to this podcast, both on Instagram or, or Spotify or and YouTube. We're on YouTube. 
What are you waiting for? Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And then lastly, come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network where you can be a part of the conversation. So this was the last of our Los Angeles Salt Lake City road trip. And you can imagine that we put a big ding in the checking account, uh, traveling with multiple people to the city like Los Angeles. It's not cheap. So our next road trip, we're going to be conservative. I'm, I'm actually going to Savannah and Sam, uh, Sam.com. They're based in Iowa. So we're going to be hitting up Cedar Rapids, Iowa city, Des Moines. And, uh, I, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So far, we have Jack Piper, Benjamin Smart, Matthew Swift, and Nick Tillinghase lined up. And if you can think of somebody sh- who should be added to that list, whether, I mean, primarily somebody who's in Iowa, we don't want to leave the state. We got a rental car, though, so I'm willing to drive a few hours to get to him. Make some recommendations. Sh- shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, and uh, let us know who we should be talking to. And I just want to also take a, a moment to thank. Sav and Sam, Savannah and Sam, uh, Sav and Sam.com for, you know, being on the road with me and helping me capture all this great content. We're really taking this thing to the next level. Uh, I also want to let you know that we have a book club. I've mentioned it in the past and uh, I really want to start getting the authors of these books on the show and slowing down and going deep. Something you've been hearing me echo a lot lately. So uh, some of the books, one of the most recent books I read was Drunk, How We Sip dance and stumbled our way into civilization and i really like this idea of like studying our past uh and relating that to business today and i'm I'm gonna try to get edward slingerland on the show and you guys might be thinking to yourself eric how does this relate to the restaurant industry but there's some angles that i'm interested in i promise you so i recommend you pick up that book drunk if you want to have conversation with me before we get the author on and then i can put you in front of the author it'd be really cool and the next book i'm interested in is the next supper the end of restaurant as we know them and what comes after the author of that book is Corey Mintz and I'm looking to connect with him as well. So get these books, join the network and be a part of the conversation. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.